0: Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and
1: Alex Sokolou
0: here on WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station. We're coming to you from Estia's little kitchen on the Bridge Sag Turnpike, where the brunch special is tostada fresco. Doesn't that sound good?
1: Fresh tostadas.
0: (laughs) Well, there's more. Wait, there's more. There's two eggs, refritos, avocado salsa, and queso fresco. And it's inspired by Colin Ambrose, the chef. He just came back from Tulum. So that's in
1: Mexico. In case you didn't, I know, know where, that. I know, I know where <laughs> Tulum has never been, um, and I'm excited to have a taste of Tulum.
0: I know where you know where we're broadcasting from. You might notice it's a little bit of extra quiet today. It's because we're actually it's such a beautiful day. We're broadcasting from outside, in back of Estia's in the beautiful garden. And in the in the spring and summer when those veggies start coming up that they use in the kitchen, it is just such. Uh, it's just so beautiful back here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's another gorgeous, gorgeous springtime is, is is almost blooming.
0: It is. And we've got amazing guests today on Sundays on the East End. We have uh, Kenny Mann, who's been a Sag Harbor resident for... Uh, about a million years. I, I remember working. Well, Kenny no worked. No offense. No offense. <laughs> no, but Kenny. Kenny worked at Guild Hall when I was at the Star, like in the mid '80s. And uh, and our other guest, Doug Kuntz, who's going to be here very shortly, was also at the Star. So we were all kind of like across the street from each other and got to know each other. But um, uh, Doug is going to be talking about his. Um, and they just wrote a story about him in the East Hampton store. The star, Bass Rattray, wrote an amazing story. He um, has been a photographer out here for, again for a very, very, very long time, and a, a, a very well known for his photographs of the baymen and and stuff. But he's been with Sea Watch Three, which is um, a boat in the Mediterranean that's been. I think it's the Mediterranean. <laughs> He'll correct me if it isn't, but uh, that's been going around. Picking up um, refugees who are trying to escape through Libya, and it's just amazing. But we're, but right now we're going to start actually, Alec, with Kenny, who um, was born in Kenya. That's not why your name Kenny, is it?
2: Yes, it is. It is. Yes, it is. I didn't know that. Thank
1: God you weren't
0: born in Swaziland.
2: Well, exactly. Who knows what my mother <laughs> might have done? <laughs> but we
0: were talking about. Uh, we're, we're talking about humanitarian uh, causes, humanitarian causes, wow. and we're talking about refugees, and you have an interesting backstory as far as that goes
2: well my my father was Polish my mother was Romanian they managed to escape from Europe in the nick of time nineteen thirty nineteen forty two they actually escaped and uh, my mother had always dreamed of coming to Africa in the old days you know the atlas used to show all these white spaces that had never been explored and she wanted to explore them Wow. And they originally were, <clears throat> they made their way to a refugee camp in Israel. And from there, the British, because Kenya was a British colony then, were looking for educated people to run certain organizations. And my parents were sent to a refugee camp way back in what was then Rhodesia, southern Rhodesia, and now Zimbabwe, until a job became available in Kenya. My father was a veterinarian and a parasitologist.
1: Like a, a large animal vet? <clears throat> or uh, no,
2: because in Europe... You're- no, yeah. But he uh, was basically a parasitologist, and so he was hired as the meat inspector at a Jewish meat factory in Kenya that was making Spam for the British Army. Wow. wow. Yeah. Oh. So, wait, so, so spam is... Spam. I don't want it to know, it's it's spam. Spam. know, yes, know. what Spam Yes, I not It's disgusting. Product. Whatever it is,
0: <laughs> unbearable. Um, but tell us about your, um, your recent... I mean, you've always been because you were brought up with the Maasai I know you've always been really committed to mm-hmm. the Maasai people and indigenous people in general but you've recently started a um, what would you call it I guess a, a, a it's an organization an organization for um,
2: um, well it's called um, acacia moyo, moyo. acacia okay. moyo for those who don't know is the acacia is that umbrella shaped tree you see all over Africa right which provides shade for many animals and people, and more in the Swahili language means hot. So shade uh, and hot. So and we heart. hope that symbolically, this organisation can provide a safe and welcoming place where people can learn how to um, have, how to develop sustainable livelihoods. Oh, that's great! Because the Maasai, you know, traditionally nomadic. So they've never had to work for Sorry, a Sorry, but
1: let's let's uh, let's roll it back just a little sure. bit. So so you, your your parents move to Kenya and you're born in Kenya and you're raised there. What brought you to the East End of Long Island?
2: Oh, my goodness. Do I have to tell that story? Well,
1: you can tell a version of that story. You can <laughs> tell a well, quick one because <laughs> it doesn't matter.
0: Doug, Doug, I'm not telling
2: it.
1: <laughs>
0: Doug Coons has just <laughs> Doug, showed up. hi, Doug,
2: Doug. We'll get yeah. to you no, soon enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, actually, my, my sister yeah, used to, she married in America, and she used to live in West Hampton Beach. And when I visited her one day, she had some friend in Sag Harbor. This is in the 70s, and brought me with her. And I just thought it was the, I fell in love with it then. Wow. You know? Wow. I didn't expect to, to be living here. I actually I was married at some point in my life the first time and <laughs> my husband was um, a, a big boat person you know I can't be in a boat I Now cannot. was he
1: was he a big boat person or was he a big a big boat person <laughs> boat person no,
2: He was a b- both both ha, He was yeah, both right. okay. Yeah both anyway he wanted to be in Sag Harbor and at that time I thought you know I will die here I had no idea what it was I thought this is the end of the world I'm not going to find any people I like. There are what no am I Messiah going to work out at? There are yes, no Masai But there are indigenous people. There are indeed, and yeah. I, 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 fought him tooth and nail against it, and that here I am. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, we have Doug Kuntz
0: joining us now. Hi, Doug. Finally.
3: I'm just, <laughs> Hello. I'm sorry. You know what? Am I supposed to know this? That wasn't Estia in the village at one time. No, never.
0: (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. okay. But uh, we are coming to you from Esti's little kitchen on the Bridgehampton Sag Harbor Turnpike, where the special today is Tostada Fresco: two eggs, refritos, avocado salsa, and queso fresco. But they're also serving dinner now, and Alec, one of their dinner. one of their specials, the Vegan Horachas, I know I'm not saying that right, but it's now available for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they have something for vegans at every meal. And uh, you're listening to us on WPPD. I'm, I'm a
1: second generation vegan. The animal I eat was a vegan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking with Kenny Mann and Doug Kuntz. Kenny uh, is a native kenyan uh whose parents were refugees and that's why they ended up there and kenny's been on the east end for a long time and we're also speaking now with doug kunz who's just returned from helping refugees um tell tell us a little bit about how you got to that point because you're, you've been a photographer out here for as I always say, a million years.
3: I think it was 230 years. <laughs> 230 yeah, counted. Yeah, <laughs> no. And you know what? It's just We can go back there, but today is the 76th day that I've been living out of a suitcase. And I, I could unpack it, but yeah. I'm afraid to. Because right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to leave again. It's yeah. like I
1: shot an elephant in my pink pajamas. What I was doing in my pink pajamas, I'll never know.
0: Yes, it's kind of no, like that, but not really. No, I have.
3: There's a there's a ugly white wicker dresser that I can put clothes in. It's not about how ugly the white wicker dresser is. Sure, it it's isn't. A, no, I'm kidding. It might be a little bit. <laughs> a of little bit. Of <laughs> yeah, you got but, a little bit of that East End sep- snobbery se- going on. No, no, I don't. Seventy six. I'm on further lane, for God's sakes. I know. What are you doing then? Someone just gave me a place to stay uh-huh. for ninety days. It sounds like a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Anyway, but
0: you have been. Um, Yes, are, are, uh, you,
3: are you a, a native of Long Island? Well, that's where the star got it. They weren't wrong, but I wasn't born here. I moved here in 1963 in second grade. I was like, this tall? Okay. okay. So, but I've been here for a long time. Yeah. I mean.
0: But tell us, um, Doug, everyone's familiar most people are familiar with your photographs in one way or another, whether it's the amazing photos of the Bayman that you took in the late 80s, I guess, early 90s, 70s, and even the 70s. Actually,
3: actually, stop. My first photograph that was published, sorry, sorry to the dead people, in the East Hampton Star, the first published photograph that I took, I was not really a photographer, I was a commercial fisherman, and it was a front page photograph of Pete Cromer, his Saint crew, and he was throwing two weak fish in the back of his truck i remember and, that picture and everett rattray was still alive he he and th- i gave him the photograph that we didn't know each other and he wrote a caption under it and it said bass mostly and i got in so much trouble for that because that was right at the time that striped bass was coming into the picture that it's like we want to get these people out of here because they're killing all these striped bass not killing them but, you know right, s- right, right, catching right. them all but it was he so made, so he, when when did you when did you start defining yourself as a photographer? Probably it, it, in 1970, what, right after that picture was. Published. Right, so but you do that, <laughs> and then
1: you find so because I'm, I'm always curious about these these calls to action, these calls that are kind of. So you take a picture that gets published, and then you realize that you could
3: be part of a conversation. Yeah, well, I was in so much trouble because I was more of a com- I was a commercial fisherman before I was a photographer. So right. I got in a lot of trouble. The guys I worked with, they're, they're commercial fishermen. They said, "How the f- could you do that?" Right. And uh, they, and they, you know what? Still to this day, the people that are still alive, they say, "Oh." There's Dougie with that camera again. And they, <laughs> but they because but I they was, respect you. Well, I was part of them, so yeah. it was okay. And then it, it because I took those pictures in right. the '70s and '80s, it became that book. Right. I mean, and and now uh, there are billions of people
1: in the world carrying cameras at all time. Uh, has it changed the way you approach your subject matter? That knowing that you are now competing with anybody with a phone. Well,
0: I mean, oh. in Doug's defense, he was the only American on this ship, and he does yeah, like but, but um, aerials in, for the New York Times and stuff. So, right, but I, in, in answer I think to you your
3: question, niche. that thing right there, yeah. I'm pointing to the iPhone—that's not a camera, yeah. <laughs> but it is. It is now. It is now. It yeah. Is yeah. now. Yeah. It's it's taken <laughs> respectable photo departments out of daily newspapers and right. fired all of them. That's so. A, yeah, and, yeah, and so, yeah, so I know about that, and yeah, uh, yeah it's and it's ruined my. I had a good gig out here for a long time with the New York Times, the Post, Newsday, magazines, but it's it's not about a photograph anymore. It's about content, clicks, and get it up there on the right, web. Right, which, which,
1: cli- which in a way, I, I think we're going to take a little break now, but yeah. when we come back. For yoga? I, uh, yeah, exactly. Yes, no, so we're when take we come a yoga back yoga from break. our
3: interlude, um, <laughs>
1: I, I would love to actually talk about this because you both have had a calling to service uh, uh, in a world that now is, is hyper connected. Um, and yet the, uh, the passions, if you will, that you guys find yourself putting your energies towards um, is very specific. You have to be in a very specific place to do it. You have to be
3: in the wrong place at the right time. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. You're
0: listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and
3: Alec Sakalou.
0: We're, we're coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen on the Bridge Sag Turnpike. Now serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you can find them online. You can find them on Facebook. And uh, you're listening to us here at 88.3 WPPP FM, Long Island's only NPR station. I mai ramisha,
2: a miser. I will mind a miser. I will mind a miser. I will
3: All right, we're back. Uh,
1: Sunday's on the East End. Uh, This is Alex Sokolow. And Bridget
0: Leroy. We're coming to you from...
1: Estia's, where there's a lot of good food.
0: And they're now serving uh, dinner as well as breakfast and lunch. So look it up online, estias.com.
1: And our guests are Kenny Mann. And Doug Kuntz. Both... uh, of our, our guests today uh, are, are kind of, uh, if there's a unifying principle for me, is, is there, they're both uh, East End residents uh, for any length of years who really are casting shadows, uh, using their energies uh, in, in other far-reaching parts of the world that are very uh, important to them. So we we're having a conversation, I think, about a call to service and about how uh, the whole world is kind of hyper interconnected right now. And so we all are all one basically. So, uh, Kenny, like, when did you, when did you have your, when did you start realizing that you could be in Eastern Long Island, but still have an effect in your home country?
2: That's a really great question because I found in the last few months, you know, we've been trying to raise funds and so on, which as everybody knows is incredibly difficult. So I haven't actually been able to go out there to Kenya for a while, but I'm sitting at my desk in my office and I've got this friend in, in um, Malibu who lost her house in the fire, who has been to Kenya several times and has a love for it and instead of succumbing to real depression, she sort of rose like a phoenix and decided she was going to come and raise money for the Maasai ladies. Out there. And tell me,
1: and what, what are the issues for the Maasai ladies?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. You know, you've probably all seen the traditional beadwork that Maasai are very famous for, the huge mm-hmm. circular necklaces and so on. So, most of the women are making those and selling them, usually to tourists, but also for their own use. And they're incredibly poor, they're completely marginalized. This particular community lives in an area called Kitingela, which is right on the edge of Nairobi. And the interesting thing about it is, it's also on the southern edge of the Nairobi National Game Park which is open so that the animals can freely move from the game park into the Maasai area. It's a deliberate effect during the rains and s- certain seasons, you know, they move around. Right. So when you drive through that area, you see the Maasai with sheep and goats and cattle and zebras and giraffe and warthogs and sometimes lions. And my brother lives out there. And when you go, I visit met your him, brother. Yes. Yeah, he came to visit. He did indeed, yes. Oscar. So when you visit him, you know, there are lions roaring around all night. You know, it's the real deal, but it's right near the city so the entire community is extremely threatened by the encroaching city
1: sounds a little bit like (coughs) Eastern Long Island
2: well I've often said out here um, that you are really pushing it kiddo (laughs) no actually the issues are quite similar because what the indigenous people all over the world are dealing with are land issues and in their particular case human wildlife conflict you know lions do come and kill their livestock they're not supposed to kill the lions but occasionally that does happen you know um so there's um from my office in sag harbor i'm dealing with the california lady who lost her house i'm dealing with the chief who taught me how to use whatsapp you know and i talked to right. him in kenya i'm, I'm I talk dealing to my with son and, in ghana and, right and, and now yeah and, and
1: doug would you say the same thing i mean for for, for your eye to be on the right side of a lens to take the photo that might impact the entire world. Uh, you have to be out in the world. But are you able to somehow balance being an East Ender with uh, where you, where you, your assignments and passions lead you? Well. You have to go there. <laughs> I
3: mean, you have to be right there. To be so, a journalist. Yeah, I mean, to be a photographer or now a videographer—that's my new thing. Wow. I mean, I can't believe I set foot into that. I fought that actually for. Why'd you fight it? Because it's it's time intensive. It means editing, and it was it was for news when newspapers a few years ago said, "Oh, you have to start shooting video." I fought it. You're because,
0: a purist.
1: But but well, your but your skill set. I mean, I, I always imagine when I see photos, uh, you know, in newspapers or, or, or the best photography, it's it's you know where to put the camera, or or you or you happen to be in the place where the camera is able to show you something that you would uh, capture a moment that tells a story. Well,
0: right. I mean, if I can interject too, I mean, lately. For the last few years, Doug has really been going, going to where the photographs are, and rather than going, you know, he's not taking a picture of a celebrity. He's going on humanitarian um, causes. I think, I think to, we're kind of getting yeah. at the same point, though, yeah.
1: which is that that you, it's, you're you're putting boots on the ground, and and Kenny, you're. It sounds like you're putting boots on the ground digitally, digitally, <laughs>
2: uh,
3: to 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 be at the place. I I think I know what what you're really talking about is how we are all interconnected. And and I mean, I actually, if I want to photograph that white chair, I have to be in front of that white chair. But because of this digital age that part of me still kind of hates, Mm -hmm. I was, I think I might have told you this, maybe I didn't, I was typing a picture caption of the man that I held his hand on that ship that he's from the South Sudan. I took his hand off his sinking boat onto our boat and we became friends. And as I, was, I had to remember his name because it's an African name and I, you know my spelling is really bad. I'm, I'm literally in the East Hampton Star office typing his name, getting it right, and he called me on the phone right at wow. that moment right at that moment and, so that's, and this
1: and this hyper connectivity though because i you know we don't our sundays on the east end is not really a, a topical show it's not really a new show but it seems like more and more the world is coming to us and we are going to the world in real time whether it's it's a massacre in new zealand whether it's a college cheating scandal whether it's whatever it all is attached to the 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 technology It's all is attached we we, we are all living I think the word is homogenesine, which is we're all kind of living the same life culturally. Well,
2: I think that's true. And, you know, I started um, a couple of years ago. I've been filming The Chief out there, who's a great friend of mine, who's a wonderful leader, really remarkable man. And I was calling the film Digital Maasai because you see them herding their cattle and living traditional lives. But every single one's got a cell phone <laughs> and everybody sells their cattle using WhatsApp. Are you serious? Yes, like, that's just I learned the about WhatsApp from The Chief. You know,
1: and WhatsApp, um, if I remember, is it, that is a Facebook. Um, I think it's
0: now owned by Facebook or something. But that's how I communicate. Right, with, but and so the you the get Joel
1: so well. so something that could be used in a very kind of yeah. holistic, almost agnostic way. Also, is being attached to a much bigger conversation that affects all of us.
2: Well, it is, and the interesting thing I found is, especially when I talked to the chief, whose name is Nixon after Nixon, actually.
1: But it's spelled N I
0: C K S O N. Yeah.
2: You know, he talks about what has been gained and what has been lost through the digital technology for his indigenous community. You know, and on the one hand, he says, well, of course, um, you know, now I have a motor car and he has a, a modern house. He does not live in what used to be called a manyata, you know, a traditional Maasai home anymore. Does that make him less of a traditional Maasai? That's the, the well, very you, interesting before we, before question. Before we went on
1: the air, you had mentioned how a rite of passage used to be the killing of a lion and now the rite of passage is the saving of a lion. And so, and, and really it's a very similar, I think, philosophy, which is what makes you a uh, grown-up is to care about something beyond your own skin, to, to live in the world.
2: Well, I think so, but in the case of the Maasai, it's how do they achieve balance between their traditional lives and culture and this modern world that is so fast encroaching from their community. You see the skyline of Nairobi. I mean, it's right there and it's huge, um, and they are actually masters. At at figuring that out because they've been around for thousands of years and had to adapt, you know, for all those years. I am. Um,
0: I, I want to also bring because um, I I see like Doug kind of I see your expression over there. Um, you know, you were right in the middle of everything, and um, I know that it brought up you know intense emotion for you. How do you find? How do you find the balance? As Kenny was saying. Of being able to take these pictures, you know, route them where they've got to go, um, write up stuff, and still hold the hand of people who are escaping from um, horrible situations, and still kind of keep your own balance, or you don't, do you? May,
3: maybe not. I mean, I might. I mean, I'm. I haven't been able to unpack my suitcase. That's a problem. But I'll right. do it in the next couple of days. I mean, I have the ugly wicker. <laughs>
0: Well, tell me, uh, I I want to ask Doug, I mean, I think that maybe it's the current uh, administration, we really try not to get uh, political, but the word refugees has just become a word. What is your experience with these people who are uh, trying to get from one place to another? It's
3: the same thing in Europe. The word refugee, it's like, it's a bitter pill. So tell
0: us a story about a refugee.
3: Well, I think that they're by the you know what it's such a complicated complex issue with because Europe took in so many refugees i mean i went there in 2015 2016 when it was really when people were pouring into europe i mean i saw 6000 people arrive in lesbos in one day one day and they that's when that's when the movement was faster i mean they right. they were a but little I'm bit But i'm saying co- tell
0: me a story about one person that that you connected with while you were on the sea watch um, just to, to make it because it is about connection and it is a, well, and i'm sure that you had so many connections i i saw all of your posts yeah, on maybe maybe
3: may, may, maybe it's the man in the photograph that was calming the people down in his boat before we could take them onto our boat and take them to to the sea watch i mean yeah. now, he, now what what drew you to sea watch like specifically they invited me. <laughs> oh well, that's well, that's yes, that's no, that's real. That, that was a big deal because there's a one-year waiting list for journalists to get on that boat. And then I could say this now; it doesn't really matter. I that no one on the Sea Watch told me this. Someone else told me this. They that I was the only American on the ship. You know why? Why? An American fell on the ship three years ago, and he tried to sue them. Uh, <laughs> oh we're we're
0: very
1: litigious society. Oh my goodness! We're very litigious society.
3: Yeah, and I don't. I, 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 No one from the ship told me that. None, none of the twenty-one crew members. But when I got off, someone said, "Oh yeah." He said, <laughs>
1: right, but all right, but see, I see, I see, actually, connective tissue uh, in, in both of your stories. Uh, I know, Kenny, uh, you talked about how you actually find charity is not uh, the solution to a lot of the indigenous people. Uh, and and Doug, like, you're talking about refugees that are leaving a, a war-torn area. And I might be making a little bit of a reach here, but it's like, why are the areas, why is the area war-torn
3: because it's, of- it's- because of
2: so complicated it's oh. yes
3: it's not it's africa so i mean most people think oh everyone's coming from libya libya is just the porthole right. i mean africa you can take three united states and if you wiggle them around you can fit them in the continent of africa well you said it's that
0: n- none of the refugees but,
3: were from no they had gone i want to say
2: something right there if i may which is you know most particularly americans first of all they barely know where any country in Africa is. When I say I'm from Kenya, honestly, somebody once said, oh, gee, is that down south somewhere? Right. You know, I yeah. mean, they, the, the geographical knowledge is zero.
3: It's, it's So sa- there's it's no sad. concept.
2: And secondly, um, in this country, you have been fed all this dark black news about Africa because it's newsworthy. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, like when I go to Kenya and I've traveled all over Africa, it is fantastic. It's rising. The, the music, the theater, the technology. Kenya's yeah. the top but I, but rated, I mean, Ameri- you know?
1: America has always been, uh, maybe because it is protected by the two oceans or, or situated that way, America has been so short-sighted when it comes to the rest of the world uh, of, of thinking that there isn't a rest of the world.
2: Well, that's, um, you know, coming back to the point, you're right, but coming back um, to the point of charity, there's incredible goodwill in America. I have never been in a country where people are so generous. generous. I mean, the instant something happens, some African kids need surgery, $100,000 are raised, it's really extraordinary. But there isn't a concept of what life there is like on the ground. And even people who've traveled there as tourists, is all very romantic, you know, and it's photo art. Right, odd. it's all uh, out of Africa. There's nothing real. So, you know, my suggestion is, you know, go live there in one of these countries for a couple of years. Go live among the Maasai, even though they live in a, a modern house these days, some of them. S- experience what it's like to live on $2 a week. Try it experience what it's like not to be able to afford right, but, but
1: most most to, Americans won't be able to do that they So won't how survive. could how could they well no but how could they still access that same connection and empathy well maybe
0: through easily
2: I mean it can be a great I think as well. that most indigenous communities are very keen to educate and have visitors and show people how they live and so on.
0: so acacia moyo.org yeah. is that the yes. address thank you Yep. And Doug, um, I mean, obviously, I've known you for thirty-six years, I think, just about. And um, the photographs, though, that you've been sending back as you've been to all of these uh, places. Where where were you before you did the the Sea Watch Lesbos? I went to Lesbos. Lesbos, and then, sorry.
3: The, the the person who got me on the Sea Watch was a British firefighter named Brendan Woodhouse, and he and he hates. It's an ironic name for a firefighter. What was his name? Woodhouse. Yeah, <laughs> Woodhouse. yeah no. and he's he. I mean, I'll, I have to leave you. He, he's 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 a firefighter f- from England, mm-hmm. but he's also mm-hmm. a poet, and he's he's like every other the other twenty one. Members, the crew members of the Sea Watch, they're passionate about this humanitarian thing, which is just to save people from drowning. That's all it's right. and, 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 you does. know,
1: and, and we were talking about refugees before, but I think one of the things that I certainly sometimes overlook is nobody really wants to. Migrate thousand miles, no, they, and get on a boat. They want to actually might.
3: go home. The they people do. that are yeah. in Europe now, they want out. They want to go home. They don't want right. to be there. I met a guy in in grown in groaning the in, in the Netherlands where I went to speak at the schools, and I said, I said, how are you doing? He goes, well. He said, I'm okay. I've only been here for twenty three years, and mm-hmm. I've been able to assimilate into this. But he said, my dad, who's a university professor. He's hated every day. He's been here. He just wants to go home, but he can't. They were from uh, Afghanistan. Tell, no,
0: tell me, tell me, uh, Doug, about speaking in the schools because that's about educating people, and that is something that you did. You traveled around a little bit. What were you? What that, was the point you were trying to get across? I that, mean, and, it was wh- just the truth.
3: Yeah, it was the last thing that I expected. Uh, I I was asked to go to the Netherlands by a couple of people. One of them is a fellow photographer from Berlin who did who did this multimedia film about an assisted suicide in the Netherlands of a young woman who had cancer. And she asked, she said, Oh, you're going to go there. Can you help me with this? And I had some TV connections, some, and I said, yeah, I I will. And so Mm -hmm. once I got there, this is about the digital age again. There's Mm -hmm. another woman who had been following my work for, was this, 2019? For three and a half years. And, and we've never met, not once. And she, she kept in touch with me when I was on the Sea Watch. And mm-hmm. by the time she knew I was close to where her school was, she said, will you come to my school and speak to my students about how music which is the quote-unquote universal language we we taught the refugees how to we, we call them guests because it makes everyone feel better but that's right. what they were they were the guests on the ship we taught them not me my music thing is the iPod the earphones right. that's it but, what but there you? were music teachers there they taught these people how to play the ukulele okay. and the guitar in six days. Wow. And they could play more than simple well, chords. Must be, say, there must be it, a lot of
0: spare time on these all, ships. Like,
1: I, 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 I want to go back to, the because this is like, they don't want to be refugees. And I want to say something to them. Yes.
2: Which is, you know, I'm not a refugee, but I am. My parents were refugees. Right. I was born in Kenya, so I think of myself as a Kenyan or a white African we call ourselves. My parents forgot about Europe on the outside. They became African. They devoted their lives to Africa. They did not tell us about their history. We had no family photographs around because there was no family, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what I've come to understand is that once a refugee you're always a refugee. Even here, I've lived in America for 35 years. My life is hounded by paperwork. You know, I have to prove who my parents were because they were naturalized British citizens. You know, it's followed me all my life. As it so happened, my daughter was born in Germany and I wasn't married to her father. So she was born stateless. So that paperwork has hounded us all our lives, you know. And so this idea of not wanting to go home or wanting to go home, my parents never did. They Right, they well, right. I think it was
0: African. a different age because the, well, the all right. of our relatives came here and amalgamated. Well, and they didn't the, want to... The
2: people you're dealing with, I think, if I'm right, are on the whole younger. I mean, they, they seem to be yes relatively and no, young. Yes and no. Yes I and mean, no. a lot of them yeah. were
3: younger, but yeah. I admit, especially in Lesvos early on, a few years ago, they were every age. Right, every
1: age. But, but like we're, we're, this to me is like, uh, oh, you know what? We're, we're I guess we're getting ready for a break the hand went up
0: yeah sorry Uh, (laughs) you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy
1: and Alex Sackler we're
0: coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen in Sag Harbor on the Bridge Sag Turnpike where the food is delicious the coffee is hot the conversation is cool and you're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB you can also listen to us online at WPPB.org and uh, we're here with our producer Kyle Lynch and our guests Kenny Mann and Doug Kunz we'll be right back We're back. Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex
1: Sokolow. Alec, you
0: were just making a really interesting point. Just pick well, it up Well, Ken- eh? Kenny
1: and I were talking during the interlude, and, and it is how the Maasai themselves uh, are at risk of becoming refugees. Exactly. And it seems like as the world, you know, it's more and more people. I mean, that's that's we're we're upwards of six, seven, eight billion people now on this planet. More and more people are in the world. More and more uh, interconnectivity in this world. Um, we are all from someplace and yet we're all everywhere at the same time. And what, what I, where I'm seeing a real connection in this conversation is the, the work on a boat where you're, you're, you're saving people who simply are trying to exist and the, the work, uh, where you could do it digitally, but the work, um, where, where you're trying to save a way of life, where they're just simply trying to exist is somehow colliding with the complexity of the
2: world. I think it is. I, w- I wouldn't like to say that I'm trying to save a culture on our life, because I okay. think that's very arrogant. All and right, they're perfectly well, capable of. But you're an American now. I'm not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're perfectly capable of knowing what to do themselves. And that's why I'm against charity. You know, We have to respect these people's knowledge. I find, in many cases, their cultural setup is superior to ours. Can you extrapolate on that? Yes. um, The Maasai um, system is that you are born into a particular age group, which is usually a span of around seven years. And you travel through life in that age group, whether you're a female or male. And each age group has a name. That is how they trace their histories, by the name of the age group. And that age group is your support system throughout life. So if you're um, a, a male, you know your first job when you're four years old is herding the cattle and the goats and the sheep and as you become older you um become a, se- a sort of senior herder then you become a warrior when you're a teenager then you become a junior elder in your 20s and 30s and 40s so you you know where you're going you know otherwise... where you're going and you know your obligations right, so and identity. your duties yeah but it's not just that it's not rigid you know you get there um there's no orphan There is no widowed woman who's struggling alone. There is no elderly person who's been abandoned. I witnessed um, something when I was filming there uh, last year. An old man who's blind, we don't know how old he is, probably at least 18. uh, Lions attacked his sheep and killed about 15 sheep, which was everything that he owned in the world. And I happened to be at the chief's house at the time, and a little boy was leading this old blind man with a stick up the hill and Nixon who has a lot of cattle and sheep and goats was um, with the help of some other guys culling some of the sheep and other community members came with some sheep and they replaced the dead sheep without question without a word you know it's that incredible sense of community
1: right and, and now if we can just turn it back the, the, the refugees that, that you were uh, that Doug, that, Doug uh, that you and the, this organization were helping to, to live and survive where, did you did you feel that sense of community coming from them, or
3: had or did a or did a sense of
0: community develop within the ship of it, the people? It,
3: it, it was both ways. I mean, it, it's the, see, that, that's it was the thing that people don't really understand. Everyone thinks that these people are coming from Libya, but they're not. They're, the 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 forty seven people that we took on board the Sea Watch, I think they came from ten African. Countries, do I say that? Is that right? Den- mm-hmm. They they came from all over Africa. None of them were from from Libya, and some of them. Libya is just the porthole. That's right. where the smugglers are. That's where the money is made. Libya Libya is, it's a lawless nation. That, so,
0: in the time that you were on this ship, was there a sense of community that? Sprung up, yeah. Within the, the ship, yeah, there was yeah. That's they
3: what I loved mean. us. We all loved each other. We ate together. We, we did things. I mean, they. We slept in a different part of the ship, but sometimes, sometimes we'd go sleep with them. I mean, it just right. To, and to and, to try and were and there
1: customs a, or were there rituals or were there
3: um, dynamics that uh, you learned or well, that were shared? Yeah, there was dance and music, but uh, and okay. their musical obviously was different than ours. But. Uh, th- yeah, they, they... But you know what? At the same time, they're on a ship. They don't know where the hell they're going. We're, they know we're trying to help them. But they also know that Europe doesn't want them. Wow. So when 30 days goes by and... and I think 34 days went by. Uh, there, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of anxiety, depression. I mean, there. there some how of the, did you cope with
0: that? Just as a, as being there, as a, as an observer. You were an observer, but you were also completely involved, Doug. So, uh, and I know how much it touches you because I know that you get choked up when you even talk about it. What did you do to aid, besides just not just, but besides? documenting it.
3: Well, you just try and be a part of what they're going through, which makes you go through the same thing, I guess. Right. And obviously I'm not going to go there, but you know, when I came home, I was a homeless refugee too. I mean, you, yeah. you just forget that. I mean, the, you can feel and sense their frustration. I mean, they, right. th- some of these people, one guy, it was his fifth attempt to leave Libya that's a 1000 euro each time he's trying to leave and he gets caught mostly by the Libyan coast guard which is funded under the EU and they're supposed to do the right thing but they don't care it's it's all they're all pirates and
0: he just kept trying well he kept trying but no
3: he he goes he goes once he fails he gets sent back and he actually gets put in you know he's he gets put in a slave labor camp to work for Whatever he said. Well, saved. you
0: also you went to the settlement camps as well, didn't you? Not in Libya. No, 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 no. But I mean, in right. Syria. Well,
3: no, it, no, it, just in Greece. Oh, in Greece. You know, go ahead, go ahead, Ken. What,
2: what I'm thinking about now, you said, you know, the digital world is sort of making us all one and bringing us together, which is true to an extent. At the same time, however the boundaries seem to be going up again Uh, everywhere. And I was about to say one of
1: the other aspects or maybe one of the darker aspects of of the interconnectability in the the digital world is all the false equivalencies that we all possess. And and so we get all this information so quickly. It's it's so transactional. And it's very easy to build false equivalencies because you're talking about, uh, Doug, you're talking about a human being who five times has somehow found the money to try and just stay alive. And yet somehow that will compete some kind of meme or some kind of idiocy or some kind of uh, statement that then takes on equal weight but, but I
0: think that's part of the whole, the whole my whole uh, thing and I'm you know I'm on Facebook all the time is that you can see something that is so touching and moving and poignant and profound and then the very next thing you see is something funny so we're all learning to to go from high to low to yes. go from heaven to hell in, in a matter of seconds and he, I'm not so sure that's good for us
3: he he told me on his fifth attempt when he stepped into that boat another thousand euro that he he probably worked over a year to have it. he said, you know what he said I don't care if I die in that boat. I don't care if I drown. It's better than staying in Libya. Libya is... Which
1: also goes to the American southern border and and the the amount of people who are actually not coming, in my opinion, to America to try and take something, (laughs) but trying to (laughs) stay (laughs) alive. It
3: it goes way beyond that. It goes to America's complacency and Britain's complacency and all this. We have... We have messed with the Middle East and Africa for 200 years to That's our exactly own benefit. It. Now it's coming and back. It's, yeah, yes. 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 it's coming back to haunt yes. us. I Absolutely. mean, it is. it's There's maybe no not at our border, yeah. but we're, you know, Europe and Britain, yeah. all the colonization of Africa, they're paying for it now. Yeah. You know, they they think, oh, well, it's really horrible that all these people are streaming into but our I countries. It, it's their fault.
2: If you're right, if I'm right, I and you can correct me, I read somewhere that um, a lot of the refugees... Who are coming from previously colonised areas actually are very consciously saying, "You owe us, you yeah. have to take us in." I yeah. never heard France, that. Germany. I, I, I've heard it.
3: Well, it's, and I understand what,
2: it. Oh, I, well, yeah. I
3: do too. I Completely. mean, I would I would say yeah. they're right. I yeah, mean, yeah. they're right. We you know? and it's it, it it goes even beyond that. I mean, it, it's the I can only speak from from what I know about my own country, the United States. You. You know, the the biggest thing that affects our economy, the, the government of the United States, is selling weapons. The next thing is drugs. But the weapons that we've sent into the Middle East, it's... And, and, the and things, you've been there. The you've- things that we've done there, it's just
1: despicable. Right, and, then, and you can also add to that that we all carry these phones. These phones are made with minerals that are pulled out of Africa. And so we've outsourced slavery then also, if you really
3: want to look at it from that perspective uh. well I asked to have the cobalt removed from my phone when I bought it that's what it is did you cobalt. Really? no I didn't you can't it's one <laughs> it's, I'm sorry it's
0: I was like <laughs> I'm doing it I'm, you know Bridget <laughs> take Bridget the cobalt out I'm running, running to, to the take out the th- cobalt
3: there's th- yeah. th- <laughs> probably a tiny little smidgen of right. cobalt but right. little children and that by are in the mud are being asked to take this cobalt out and they get five cents every week to do it Yeah,
1: and I'm not saying it to ultimately just be a cynic I'm saying it because I think that we all have a moral and ethical responsibility in our incredible fortune of being in America and, in our case, in a beautiful part of yes, America, East Yes, but
3: if, if you know enough about what America has done in their failed policy, especially in the Middle East. Well, you've been there, right? Well, uh, you know what? I, I, ha- I have. But America, I mean, I hate to say this, but America yeah. has been at war. Since the end of World War II, it's what drives the economy. We have never stopped being at war. There's a little skirmish here, there's Vietnam. We were selling weapons here or there. We've been at war since the end of World War II. We never stopped because of the money. But That's, you know,
2: let's, I'd like to say, just say something about the colonization, which okay. you don't use that word in America, but it sort right. of is what's going on. Um, if you see, say, among the Maasai or any indigenous people, you know, the consequences of previous colonization, for example, in Kenya. Nobody owned land. It's just like with the Native Americans here. The British brought in the idea of owning land and paying taxes on it. So Maasai land was divided up so that it now has individual owners. So again, you have to rely on the community because people are sometimes so poor that they are compelled to sell off their land. Once you sell off that piece of land, which is in the middle of a vast area, you destroy the wildlife migration routes, you destroy a certain section of grazing for your own livestock, you know, you completely break up the community. So the effort out there is to try and preserve the land because without the land, you are not a Maasai. So it all goes back to that British rule in colonization that we are now feeling today that this group of indigenous people faces extinction. So explain
0: again what um, Acacia Moyo, your um, organization is all about.
2: Well, um, we're just trying, you know, without being charitable. We don't provide food. We don't do anything. We have a number of partners.
0: And it's, it's microcredit? Is that? No. no nothing not like that. that.
2: No. Okay. Um, we want to work with the community. For example, Maasai were always nomadic. They have never grown their own food. so. Now they are forced to no longer be nomadic, and they're eating terrible, awful food. They're all this size, like huge, us. fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maasai, well, if, here, you know, not here at Estia's little kitchen. No, this no, food I is delicious. Just, but most people have seen pictures of Maasai beautiful, slim, tall warriors and in so a of. nice light.
3: In a beautiful light, yeah. Because yeah, nice they're nice very close In fact, they have become well the done. face
2: of East Africa. But today they're very fat, and they're suffering from really yes, oh my because I can't think there's of a no fat Maasai. food. No, because it's the same as with poor people out here. They live in an area. There's no grocery store nearby. They're living on white bread and Coca-Cola and tea with six spoonfuls of sugar. Right. So our effort, and actually the chief at, was way ahead of me because I'm Nixon talking. Parmisa, Nixon, Parmisa. N- Nixon, I I'm, love he's you. He's fat. And i am d- been telling you. Oh, he, he is, is yes, not. he is. Nixon, you're not fat. He's, he's For a Maasai, he's very fat. He's, big, he's big. big. And I'm saying, Nixon, you've got to change the diet. You're not allowed to have six spoonfuls of sugar. So... All of a sudden, I get these photographs on WhatsApp early last year, and there's these vegetables. I don't know what it is. He says, this is my vegetable garden, he said. He didn't know how to grow vegetables. He learned from the back of the seed packages. He's smart. The whole community got together. They got the money together for a solar-powered water pump, so they don't have to rely on water. He's got two acres. He makes enough for his family. He sells to the community. So he's given us two acres. We have partnered with the... Santa Fe Community College, huh. which has one of the best agricultural teaching programs in the country. That's amazing. Extremely and progressive.
0: And they're, and they're going to f-
2: they're teach going them how to, s- to farm the yes, two they, acres. Well, they're going to send out. The, um, how big is the community there? The, the it's about seven thousand people oh, okay. all together. Um, very very spread out. Right. A Huge area. You don't. It's not a village. Right. Know anyway we're working with the community college they want to send out some experts they have extremely advanced methods you can grow a ton of tomatoes on two square feet with no soil and one drop of water you know right, whatever right, right. and they also want to create a native american maasai exchange would would be historical and oh, that's interesting that's
0: what a great because idea. they're
2: dealing with similar issues similar landscape water issues land issues food issues housing issues and you know last year whenever it was there was one of the um lunches at the american hotel by the sag harbor express and i spoke up and i said you know we're safe we are facing the same issues here housing land survival um
3: is it there's a housing problem out here
2: <laughs> oh, <there's> a, <laughs> said
3: the homeless doug <laughs> Guns, <Duncan>. living
0: on <laughs> further <laughs>
1: lane <laughs> for a little bit it's all right, 90, Separate, days. Right, it's 90 days right 90 days. i don't
2: mean, are not so different right and and and
1: and really like you know in a way the conversation you know uh, the day after Columbus uh, landed those three ships somewhere uh, on the uh, Lower East eastern, yeah the the, the West Indies which even that tells you the Europeans view of the world uh, is the day that globalization kind of took on an entirely different mechanism in all of our lives and we're now several hundred years you know into that experiment and we all do have the same issues
3: we well, do. And we, we have people that are trying to actually take Columbus Day right off the yes, calendar. Yeah. Right, and maybe that's justifiable. I mean, yeah. Doug, I, uh, if
0: people yeah. want to know more about the um, your journey with uh, Sea Watch or any of the other humanitarian, you know, photog- photographs you've taken, you have you have a website, don't you?
3: Yes, but none of that work is on my website now. I mean, I have social media it's on there but right. there's plans for to okay, well, so I haven't had time to put of any of the work on my work. No you haven't even unpacked your suitcase well, dude. I, I don't <laughs> I haven't unpacked my suitcase and I have to go to the city at four AM tomorrow and get my computer and, and, and everything so I can work but again. But if
0: people do want to, to, to look you up that uh, they can do it on Insta, Instagram Yeah I have an I Instagram you. account and Doug, it's Doug Doug D-
3: Kuhn, Doug no, it's Doug Kuntz photography and K U N T Z and Well you
0: also are a wonderful writer. I mean you what you wrote while you were out uh, not just here, but when you've been at other um, humanitarian crises, has been so uh,
3: heart-wrenching. Um, They're like you, long picture captions. Picture captions. Long
0: picture me. captions. But didn't you also do something when you were out at sea? i was just bringing it around, where um, you. Did you do a fundraiser for books or something? Am I remembering that right, or is it was it something that you didn't plan as a fundraiser? I, d- or just I a, did. Tell me what I it did was,
3: fundraising for Sea Watch because it's easy. You just do it on Facebook and you just create a donation page. But I then when I when when it's actually a great story when about the music when the music is the universal language so we get to Catania and the ship is sort of under arrest and the crew is let they're not under arrest but they're detained with 31 violations and I stayed behind for 12 days everyone the rest of the crew that could leave they went home I mean they have jobs right I didn't have a job so I stayed it was Sicily it was beautiful and, and you so stayed I s- with
0: the refugees on the no, ship? No, the refugees oh, no. were gone. They okay. were gone.
3: I, I stayed with the three or four crew members that were trying to clean up the violations and get the hell out of there so okay. they could get to the shipyard. But I asked the, the head of mission. He's the second in command of the captain. I said, well, you know, is there anything I can do? Because they didn't actually even want to go into town because if the violations got cleared, they were going to take the lines off and go. Because right. being in Italy, I mean, you're, uh, you're you're subject to seizure. I mean, it's they weren't seized but they were held there right. by the violations. So he said to me, he said, I said, can I do something in town? And he goes, I'll never forget this. He goes, we have a nylon string, six string guitar. <laughs> and one of the strings is broken. He said can you maybe just get one string so our five you know, Keith string Keith
1: Richards played with five
3: strings. <laughs> he might he might if he's so he said can you maybe just get the one string so we could have our five string guitar become a six string guitar again and I looked around a little bit and I found a music store this old guy he didn't speak English i bought three sets of strings so they have three sets of six string guitars and there was a french guy that had a ukulele but he took that home with him (laughs) so i bought another ukulele i bought triangles i bought a bongo drum i bought congos (laughs) i bought six hundred dollars worth of instruments and then and I took them back to the ship so we can start the Sea Watch band the next time they go. <laughs> and then I went, I found another music store. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. And I bought him a steel string guitar. You did. Yeah. And that was kind of expensive. Um, and I, maybe I could fundraise that away, but I haven't yet. And so they do, when the Sea when the Watch hopefully gets back out and yeah. they pick up 47 people again, they have music, three <laughs> guitars, a ukulele, <laughs> yeah. bongo drums, triangles. They're gonna they're gonna get yeah. off
0: the boat in Europe, they're and they're gonna be rock stars. Rock
3: yeah, well, actually, so you know what? It, it's there's I have like a plan for that. If, they, <laughs> if, 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 if if three or four refugees can learn to play the guitar in six days, maybe there could be a band.
0: Well, I think it's time for us to um, wrap it up. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Kenny Man. Who's a Sag Harbor resident and uh, has a, um, a an organization Acacia Moyo A C A wait A C A C I A M O Y O oorg uh, that people can go and visit and uh, and read about uh, right. and it's educate all about themselves. It's about
2: sustainable livelihoods everywhere. The refugees here in Sag Harbor, wherever we are. I think those are the key words for me, sustainable livelihood.
0: And we've been also speaking with Doug Kuntz, uh, Doug Kuntz Photography, and uh, your amazing journey, which people can read this week in the East Hampton Star, written by Bess Rattray. But you uh, can follow you on Instagram, and you're an incredible uh, writer as well as an incredible photographer. And uh, we're coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen which is on the Bridge Sag Turnpike. They're serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, there are some great specials this week, shrimp risotto. I mean, they have veggie, hir- I can never say this word, hirachas, Um that they're serving for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and hibiscus margaritas. Oh, wow. <laughs> sound really good right about now. <laughs> Should we now. stay? <laughs> well, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, okay. And uh, you've been listening to us here uh, on WPPB Um Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolo, Sunday's on the East End. Alec, you want to take us out?
1: Uh, be well, stay well.
0: ¡A la reía y a burruda like, oh, yes. yes.